you guys follow instructions so well. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, and I thank you for being so loving and so merciful and so kind and so compassionate, and you are such a complete God of justice and all of that. And Father, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that the Holy Spirit would, uh, would do the work that really had, that has begun since the beginning of this service. Lord, that you would just continue to churn and move in our hearts um, so that you would lead us to do or to become who it is that you want us to become or whatever it is that you want us to do. And we pray it in the matchless name of our Savior, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You all can have a seat. Unless you want to preach, then come on up. So I was thinking about something as it pertains to this talk. Um, and I want to kind of tell you even about purpose. And sometimes things happen in our life. We just simply don't know what the purpose is in the moment. Can anyone give a testimony to that and say amen? Like you go through things and you're like, I just don't get it. It doesn't compute. Um, well, I had one of these moments actually when I was in seventh grade. And by my seventh grade middle school experience, it was maybe different than yours, maybe the same. Um, my dad actually would give me a dollar for lunch. I know I'm, I'm aging myself, and that's okay. I'm old. I have gray hairs. Uh, it's official. But he would give me a dollar for lunch. But here's the problem. The school lunch would cost a dollar ten. So it's like I'm in seventh grade, and now I have to scrounge for this other dime. Now, I did have a little side, a side hustle in the evening of some work that I made. But I thought to myself, why in the world am I going to eat this school lunch when really the only thing good out of school lunch was the pizza, and it was the pizza you had to turn up and let the grease drain off before you eat it and then shake it, dab it with some, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You're probably going to have that for lunch today. And uh, so then, and that would be the only thing good. So I, I, I found out something that would work better than that because I didn't even want to have to spring for that extra dime. I found out that if I went to the soda machine and to the snack machine, I could get lunch for a dollar. Yes. So I would have a Mountain Dew and an Almond Joy for ever. Like that was just my steady lunch. I didn't want to have to go get school lunch. I didn't want to be bogged down and burdened with all that. I love Almond Joys. So I was like, it's a win. And I can do it all for a dollar. Again, you buy a soda for a dollar. I'm old. Bear with me. So here's how the story goes. We would eat in the cafeteria. That probably didn't take a rocket science to figure out. But then we would walk into the gymnasium. And the gymnasium was such a weird environment because on, it would be, of course, a regular gymnasium. The goals would be this way. We would be sitting all the way over here. They'd push the, the bleachers all the way back, and we would stand all against the wall, but all the adults would be on the opposite side. Middle school, right? Not the best scenario of all time. So uh, what we used to do in my seventh grade year is because we were all insecure seventh grade boys, like I don't think I've ever met one that's not, we would try and just kind of like meld into the bleachers to disappear from all of the eighth graders for fear of getting hurt and stuff. So we would just kind of hide, and we would hide with all of our other insecure friends in the corner out of sight. Problem is, when we would move away out of sight, the teachers on the other side of the gym couldn't see us either. As you can imagine... Um, you see a couple insecure seventh graders. There's always some insecure older, older classmen who thinks that they need to bully the younger ones. So on this given day, uh, I, I was with my friends and we're sitting there trying to be, you know, just invisible in this room. And, and then lo and behold, Bobby walks up. Now, Bobby, just so you have just an idea what Bobby is, I'm pretty sure that Bobby had back hair in eighth grade. I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive, and I wasn't going to check because, you know, it's weird. But I'm pretty sure that he did. 
At any, at any regard, he needed to shave if he wasn't already shaving. He could have grown a beard in eighth grade because he had probably been in eighth grade for like, you know, like five years. Like he was like this, he was this guy. He was like head and shoulders taller than everybody. He was just this big dude. And, and Bobby walks up and all my friends are there. And then it's just like the worst scenario when you're getting bullied. He like lasered in on me. And I was like, this is not going to go well. So all of my friends, because you know they're good friends, as soon as he walks up, what do they do? Scatter. So I'm standing there. I'm looking at him, and he says, give me your money. I'm like, I don't have any money. I mean, literally, I, I think I had some change. I was like, I just kind of give the, he's like, give me, give me all your money. And I was like, I just don't have any money. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a switchblade knife. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a switchblade knife pulled on you. It's not the most pleasant experience of all time because he pulls it out and it wasn't like, you know, trust me, it wasn't like something you get from the carnival after you win the claw machine. You'd be like, yay, I want a, you know, a, a fake switchblade comb. You know, like, ping, you go out and you comb your hair. Sorry, it wasn't that. It was legit. He pressed the button and the knife, by the way, it was completely illegal, pops out the end of it and I thought, I'm going to die. It's over today. <laughs> call my mom, call my dad. It's over. Get a hearse. I don't know. It's over. It, I'm I didn't even know what to say or what to do. All through that experience, I, I was absolutely crushed. And you can imagine how scarring this would be for a middle schooler. Like, you can imagine. And yet, in that, I have to be honest with you, I, I have no idea what the full purpose of that was. I really don't. I mean, what I know is, after that day, I went home crying to my parents. And I know that my parents then called the police and then I know that they called the police on Bobby, and I know that I never saw him again. And that was pretty awesome back then, because I didn't want to see him again. Um, and he probably ended up in prison. I don't know. Um, he was on a good track record for that. But here's the reality. Maybe he did end up in prison. Think about it. Maybe, maybe in the providence of God, what we've been talking about through this whole series, maybe I endured what I endured. And honestly, it was a little emotional scarring, but not like physically scarring. He didn't stab me right? It was a little emotional scarring, but maybe I endured that simply, and I don't even know this for sure, but maybe just so one day Bobby may be in prison and receive Jesus while he's there. Think about that. Like that absolutely could happen. God does stuff like this all the time, and, and we don't know what goes on. Like if we're separated, like one step separated from a situation, we have no idea what's going on. Isn't that right? And yet, in the middle of that, he may receive Jesus. And I would sit back and I would say, wow, it was well worth it. At least I didn't get stabbed. I did get to see a switchblade, though. That was neat. Anyway, let me ask you this question. How have the bad experiences in your life affected you? Think about that. How have the bad experiences in your life affected you? How have they affected you? Depend upon where you are in your faith is how you're going to respond to situations. If you're brand new in your faith and you get thrown in the deep end of, of like just pain and suffering and all that, I mean, it's, it's going to be really tough because you don't have those faith muscles built up yet. You'll make it through, but, but it's going to be tough. But if, you're, if you've been in your walk with Jesus, developing your walk with Jesus for a while, your faith should be built up so then when we endure or we go through a bad experience in our life that we're not absolutely crushed, that ultimately that we can even find our purpose in it. Some of you have, have endured these bad experiences and you have learned what you're supposed to learn. 
And maybe you had a boyfriend, girlfriend, and you were just pursuing them, pursuing them. Then you found out like that that relationship didn't work out and the next one didn't work out and the next one didn't work out is because all you were looking for is the most egotistical person. And you're like, no matter where I go, there I am. And I keep looking for the same person. And something switched from those bad experiences to say, you know what? I'm never going to date a person like that again. Or maybe you had somebody who cheated on you. And it was the same thing. You're like, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. Maybe for you, you got yourself in a financial bind and you, you literally had to be all the way wrung out before you would actually do the thing that you were supposed to do. But did you know that God's purpose is in that also? Uh, maybe for you, you're in, in school, you didn't study for a final or, or whatever, and, and all of a sudden you didn't study for a final, you blew it off, and you've been blowing stuff off all year long, and then there comes your final, and then all of a sudden you didn't pass a class, and now you have to go to summer school. And yet, maybe for that, after that summer school experience, you learn something. You're like, no, I need to buckle down because these studies matter. One thing is for sure, we're all going to have to endure bad experiences. But we're not all going to respond in the same way. Some of us will respond in a way that I believe that, that is right and is good, and some of us not. But think about the positive experiences that you've had. Think about it in this way. Out of the bad experiences you've had, haven't, haven't they helped you to be a better person? Haven't they? If, they if, if you've actually learned the lesson that you're supposed to, haven't they helped you to be a better person? To be more mature and to understand, to understand yourself and life more. I mean, haven't they? Like if, if you're walking with God in close fellowship with God and you go through these experiences, you should be able to come out of those, come out of those experiences on the other side a better person than when you went in. A more mature person than when you went in with a greater understanding for you, maybe the inclination of your heart, the type of people you've been surrounding yourself with. And you really start to understand the value of life more. But that isn't always how it works out, is it? Sometimes we get better, and sometimes we just get bitter. And sometimes we get better, and it's awesome. We turn out to be a different person. People look at us and say, wow, you're a totally different person. And they gravitate towards you because you're a different person. You just have the glory of Jesus just shining around you. And sometimes we just get bitter, and we become poison for everybody else around us. And they know it, and somehow we don't. And what's really complicated is we can take an experience that happened over here with this individual, and we can project that pain on everyone else. And then if we project that pain and if we don't walk with God in that pain, we'll never find the purpose for it until we stop and we do what it is that the Spirit of God would prompt us to do. Time will tell if you're going to get better, if you're going to get bitter. My hope is that you would get better. But the sad truth is that many of us have allowed our experiences, our tests, and our trials to break us, to make us bitter, to give up on Life instead of making us stronger and better. And I want to speak to both kind of people this morning. 
the type of people who've, who've endured some, some rough things and experiences, and you've endured them, and you've seen God's purpose in them, and, and yet by the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God, you've been able to kind of transcend that experience, and you're a whole much better person on the other side. But I also want to speak to the person who's sitting in the middle of an experience right now, and they haven't trusted God, and they're facing the pain, and it's over and over and over, and they are the reason why they're in the situation they're in. I want to talk to both these people this morning. Because if we all settle on what the Word of God says, in Romans 8, 26 through, 20, or 28, 26 through 28, what we're going to see through this is God has an ultimate plan and purpose for every believer's life. And it's a plan and purpose that's bigger than what you can see, which is why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We just walk by faith and God, I trust you. God, I love you. I know that you love me and you saved me. And I've just, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to give this moment to you. I'm going to give my attitude to you. I'm going to give my heart to you. I'm going to give my mind to you. Submitting to God. In Romans 8, 26 through 28, give you a, just a little about what's going on right before this. In this context, Paul has just given an encouragement and a hope that the truth of the gospel brings. So it just encouraged them. And he, he was talking about the, the struggles that they would face here in this life and saying, no, but there's a hope and there's a glory that's coming. And he was just, just encouraged them, endure it, walk with God, go through this season. The, the, the next season, the eternal season is better than this. Don't give up on your faith. You see it through and God will, God will show you the purpose. You may, not know every, you may not know the destination, but he will show you the steps. You walk by faith, not by sight. Just take one step forward and one step forward. This is how he also encourages in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Think about how awesome this is. You ever had one of those moments where you're in the middle of just like an emotional struggle and you, you can't even put words and somebody says, what's going on? And you're just, you're just so frustrated and you're just so bent up emotionally, you can't even find words. It's in that moment when we don't even have words to give to God that the Holy Spirit intercedes on a believer's half with groanings that we don't understand. And it may not even be something that we can even gather in our mind, but it is those words spoken at the spiritual level through the Holy Spirit of God through us to the Father articulating what our words and our mouths cannot even put out. Think about how amazing this is. So even in the middle of pain and struggle, and you may just feel like your whole life is chaos and I don't know who to talk to and I don't even know if I can talk to God. I don't even know how to talk to God. If you will simply humble yourself before God, He will give you the words. God loves you that much. He desires connection and a relationship that much. That He gives you the words to speak, although you may not even have the opportunity to do it because you just can't find them, but the Spirit provides them. Look at verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That the Spirit intercedes for us. He's the go-between between us and the Father. 
when we're broken down, we're in the middle of a just a remarkably painful situation or circumstance, or just this bad experience all the way around, and you don't you can't even find words, you don't even know direction, you can't find the purpose. It's the Holy Spirit of God that shows us the way. So that we're not stuck. So we don't just have to stop. But he shows us the way. God not only delivers us a purpose, but he helps us walk in it. Let's go to verse 28. Verse 28 says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This morning what I want to give you is I want to break three common misconceptions when it comes to this passage. And then I want to give you four truths based off of this verse specifically. The three misconceptions are these. This verse doesn't mean that we can live any way we choose and that God will be like a magic genie and clean up our messes. That's not what is being said here. It isn't like that we can just live however it is that we want to live and that, that, we just, that God's just going to clean up our life as if it's a magic genie. That's not what's being said here. See, if we're to know God in an intimate and personal way, what we're going to know about God because of our experience and our salvation is this. That our relationship with God wasn't just this momentary thing that I gave my life to Jesus. I confessed that I was a sinner and, need, and I admitted to him I needed a savior and I received salvation. And now I get to live the rest of my life for me. If we were to know, as of what it says in the beginning of verse 28, if we were to know, that means we know Christ and that word implies this, that because there's a past experience, i.e. salvation experience, that the rest of your life has been shaped off of that experience. And that now you know, it's not just some intellectual thing, well, I know. Like, you know, when you were in, you know, say, well, I know algebra. Well, I actually, I knew algebra because I was in eighth or ninth grade and I took algebra. Like, it's not like that. It isn't some mental thing. It's saying, no, I know because my whole being has been shaped by Almighty God. And because my whole being has been shaped by Almighty God, it changed from the inside out on the moment and the day of salvation. And I've been walking out this salvation ever since. I have been walking in the Spirit of God. My life has an increase in the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of the flesh, which it talks about in Galatians 5, right before the fruit of the Spirit. It said, no, 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 that was the old me, and I put away the old me, and I'm living in the new me. And the new me knows Jesus. And because of this, this thing that's greater than intellectual knowledge, this knowing has affected my being. Many of us, we know God intellectually. We know God. We know some verses. Maybe even the verse you see on the screen. You're like, yeah, I've heard this. John 3, 16, yeah, I know it. But do you know God? Do you know him? Has your life been defined by him? God has been pursuing people since the beginning of time. He desired a relationship with Adam. Adam broke that relationship and everything changed at Genesis 3. Everything changed within humanity at Genesis 3. All of creation, really, in Genesis 3. 
Do you know God? I'm not saying, do you know a couple Bible verses? Do you know a spiritual person? Do you know the pastor when you grew up? Do, do you know somebody who studies the Bible? I'm talking about you. Do you know God? And has your life been defined by your experience with Him? So the first misconception, these should be on the screen, Michelle. Three common misconceptions. The first one, this verse doesn't mean that we can live any way we choose and God will be like a magic genie that will clean up our messes. Second thing, this is a promise for believers, not people who claim to believe but live like the devil. This is a promise for believers. So Romans 8.28 is, is not something that's just supposed to be tagged onto somebody's Facebook page or Instagram page or you're just supposed to just rattle out these words. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this does not pertain to you. This has to do with followers of Jesus. This is a promise for believers. Not those who claim to believe but live like the devil. I realize that's a harsh truth, but it's a necessary truth. And I'm not trying to be harsh in telling you, but yet the truth confronts us when we need to be confronted. The last common misconception is this. He doesn't say that all things are good. Cancer itself is not good. It's just, it's just not good. Watching a child die is, is just not good. Seeing the atrocities that happen all over the world, famine, thinking of that people, they die because of, of lack of food and water when, when we have just an abundance in our cupboards. Those things, they're, they're just not good. That's not what this verse is saying. Oftentimes people look at this verse and that's what they, that's what they make this verse to mean that I can live however it is that I want to live, that God will clean up my messes when I don't live the way that I ought to, and then ultimately just, well, everything's good, so everything's good. So let me give you the four main pillars, if you will, uh, of this passage, four truths to build a life upon. The first one is know that God is at work in a Christian's life. Just know that God is at work in a Christian's life life. I've used this illustration so many times in counseling, but I know some of you haven't heard it, so if you have heard it, just smile like it's brand new, but everybody else is going to be like, oh yeah. Know that God is at work in a Christian's life. When my parents, uh, actually my mom and my, my stepdad, uh, they, my mom and dad divorced when I was four, and then my mother ended up marrying my stepfather, and he went, he was in the Navy, or he had gone into the Navy, so he was stationed a couple of different places, and I got to spend some summers in Norfolk, Virginia. It's a miserable place, uh, in my opinion, and then got to spend a couple summers in Jacksonville, Florida, and that was less miserable. And we got to, I got to spend a summer on uh, the Navy base, the NES Mayport. It was the, the Navy base that um, I got to spend a summer on, and I had just learned how to ride a skateboard the summer before. So now I went into NS Mayport and there was a kid in my cul-de-sac who also rode skateboards. It was amazing. He was really, really good. And I was not. He rode a skateboard and I, fall, I fell often. That's basically what I did for a long time. But I used to just spend like every single moment of the day, it seemed like, with this kid. And he was also a surfer. I uh, ended my surfing career on the day that I'm telling you about right now. Um, he was a surfer, and he had this great idea. He said, hey, the waves are going to be awesome tomorrow. And I was like, 
how do surfers just, and he's a kid, he's like, I just know, man, like, I just get this vibe through Korea. I don't have no idea. He like just, he just knew the, that the waves are going to be great. So he's like, the waves are going to be great tomorrow. We need to go out tomorrow morning. He's like, yeah, but we need to leave when the sun comes up. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, as if my mom's going to let me do this. She did let me do this, actually. I know, it was awesome. It was a great moment for me. So I asked my mom, and she said, sure, and gave me some parameters. So he and I rode our skateboards. He had his surfboard. I had a boogie board. Body board, I think is what they call it now. We called it boogie board. No idea why. But got on our skateboards, and we went across the base out to where the jetty is. And if any of you have been to this, to this specific base, maybe you've seen the jetty, this rock jetty. It's beautiful. And that's where the waves were, and it was amazing. We went out there. He went out, and he was surfing. He would catch every single wave. And I was on a boogie board, and I was doing my thing. And I, I, wasn't, I couldn't go out as far as him, and I couldn't do what he was doing. But it was kind of fun. And then he, I don't know if he got tired or what, but he said, hey, do you want to try my surfboard? I had never surfed before. And I said, sure, why not? I mean, he made it look so, so easy. And the idea with the surfboard is kind of the same as a boogie board, except you typically go out farther, is you have to paddle, like lay on the thing on your stomach, and you have to paddle out, and then the waves go over you, you go under the wave, and then you get out to where the, the bigger waves are. And, and he made it look so easy, but it indeed was not easy for me because I could never get past the waves. Like, I would go, and I would paddle, 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 and I'd get winded and just get crushed by the wave. And, and then I was like, you know, I just got a, just a little bit of stubbornness and resilience. I was like, I'm not going to let this wave beat me. And then guess what happened again? I paddled out, paddled out. It crushed me again and again and again. And I just gave up. And I've said, here, take this thing back. And I rode my boogie board. It became such a, a kind of an interesting thing for me because I learned Whenever I was standing against the wave, in essence, I was trying to stand against the wave and I could never figure out how to get on the wave to ride the wave. I was standing against the wave and every time that I was standing against the wave, I would get pummeled. True story. Every time that we stand in opposition to God's will, don't we also get pummeled? I mean, every time we stand and we're like, God, you're not going to do this. And God's like, really? Whoop. And wow, we just, we just get waylaid. We just have some pain, some experience. Something happens to us, a level of suffering. And what God is showing us is don't stand against me. Instead, what he's trying to say is if you would just turn around, if you would just repent, if you would not just be stubborn and rebellious, if you would not just be hesitant to my way, if you would just turn around and ride the wave of the Spirit, you would find your purpose. If you would just turn around, if you would just repent of your old way of doing it and just turn around, don't stand and think that you're, you are almighty, that you can stand against the waves of God's plan and will. You simply can't. And I'm looking at you, and I know as, as soon as I talked about standing in opposition to God's will, some of your eyes got really big, and I just feel that maybe you've done that. And you're like, yeah, I got pummeled. And that, it threw me, man, it threw me for a loop for a while. What I'm saying is no matter where you are, if we would simply turn instead of resisting God's will, but to surrender to God's will, we could ride the wave of blessing. We could ride the wave of purpose. We could ride the wave of our calling. We could, we could ride the wave of the Holy Spirit of God to be the better person that we want to be and that God would want us to be. Some passages that correspond with this 
Ephesians 1.4 says this, Even before he made the world, God loved us, meaning he's talking about Christians. He loved us, us Christians, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So God's plan for us is not to get pummeled by the waves of our, of our stubbornness and our rebellion. God's plan for us is that we would surrender to our faulty way, our false self, and we would give God, give God our, ourselves and surrender to him so that we could ride the wave of blessing. And when we do that, in accordance with this passage, then we would be the holy people that he was calling us to be. Then we would be the people that would be without fault in his eyes. Instead of being hesitant and stubborn and rebellious of God, instead we'd say, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I love you. And in that, we would find the wave of purpose and blessing. Colossians 1.27 says this, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Did you know that every follower of Jesus is, is a partaker in the glory of God? We are sharing in God's glory. So when we, when we actually ride the wave of purpose and blessing, we are showing the world the glory of God. We are radiating the glory of God. We are then becoming the city on a hill that the Scripture talks about in Matthew 5. Then we are understanding that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and that we are, we are emitting Jesus to the world. And in this verse in Colossians 1.27, this is the word glory. Jude 24 says this, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. Without a single fault. As we surrender our lives to Jesus and we ride the wave of purpose and blessing with Jesus, He keeps us firmly in His hand. He keeps our salvation secure. He keeps our purpose secure. He keeps our future secure. Growing Christians receive the plan of God and they will not reject it. They receive it. They want it. They desire it. They crave it. When I was younger, and I'm sure we repeated this to our kids, that when I wasn't doing, the, doing, wasn't doing what I was supposed to, um, people around me used to say, well, you just have a case of the want-tos. Like you, the reason why you're doing it is just because you don't want to. You know, it's like you just need the want-tos. And if you just have the want-tos, then you'll get done what you need to have done. And I think we've kind of taken this idea into much of our Christian life to where we just think, well, if I just want to, that's going to be enough. Well, if I just want to, then I'm going to be able to endure the suffering. If I just want to, or if I just want a relationship, if I just want to, the problem is this. The want-tos, the, the phrase, kind of the complicated phrase around that is the word called age, is the word called agency. And God has given every single person on planet Earth a limited human agency, which means a power to act, a power to choose, that he's given us the ability to do that. You're going to choose where you go to lunch today. It's limited in its power, but God has given us a certain level of power of agency. But agency is simply not enough to live the Christian life, because agency is also affected by you being tired, by you, by you living just a, you know, a life that your schedule is dictated by someone else. 
and you just operate in a steady state of exhaustion. When I'm operating under the steady state of exhaustion and I'm just, I'm just tired, my flesh gets weak. Some of you have faced trauma in your life and it's been really, really difficult. And your ability to act, your, your agency, if you will, has been affected because of that trauma. And yet, in that, your flesh is weak. So the flesh never drives out flesh. You will never find your purpose, the purpose that God has made you for and He's called you out of. He, you will never walk in that purpose if you are simply living by the flesh. The flesh is the fall inside of you that needs to fall off. And the Spirit of God drives out flesh. It's us then turning away from the, from the waves, not to be pummeled by the waves, but turning and riding the wave of purpose and blessing that we get in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, that we find the plan and purpose for our lives. The second truth to build your life upon is this. Know that God is at work for the good of His people. Know that God is at work for the good of His people. Like you just have to know this into the core of your being. Know that God is at work for the good of his people. He is always trying to train you to be more like him. Always. Everything that you have endured, everything that you wanted to, that, that you wanted to have happen and it turned out bad, everything that you didn't want to have happen and it turned out bad, everything positive and negative that you have endured in your life, God is at work for the good of his people. And this word good, it means in this passage, it means the true good or the final good. That's very important. So it's not just good, not like a fleeting good, like it's a, it's a happiness. Instead, it's for my final good, which means that every single thing that I have endured, it leads to my final good. It leads to the fullness of the glory that I'm going to have when I'm in the presence of Jesus. It means to my truest good, the true good, not just that's fleeting and I'm happy and I've, I've just got my paycheck or I took this vacation or I'm, I'm drinking this drink or I'm having this food or I'm having this experience, I'm, I'm living this luxury. Those are fleeting. That's happiness. The, the good that's being talked about here is things that add to our final good, the true good, our ultimate purpose in God. And yet that is often met with some responses so I'm going to give you four responses from a heart that is unwilling. Four responses from an unwilling heart. And, and I just want to kind of mention these. And if your life looks anything like these, the only thing you can do is surrender to Jesus and just beg for mercy. And in this, if, if these responses are, are some condition of your heart, for whatever it is that God has led you to and He's trying to lead you through, just know that if you're struggling with these things, you most likely have stopped in your growth where you will not become that better person that God wants you to become until you get right with God on these matters. So the first response is defensiveness. This, this uh, it, oftentimes it comes in just the, the first line of our ego. Just defensive, like things didn't go my way. So we step back and we're like, that just isn't right. And we get defensive and we look for somebody to blame. So we get defensive. We just stop growing. And we just get defensive. We put walls up. Second thing is criticism. Scriptures talk a lot about a critical spirit. All of these go hand in hand, by the way. There's certainly a progression here. 
The critical spirit after somebody's become defensive. This is an unwilling heart. You will not be able to receive what it is that God wants. Your character will not be shaped into the better person that you want to become and that glorifies God. A critical spirit is then you've, you've, you're resenting the fact that God is, is ultimately doing this and now you're critical of God and you're critical of other people. You're critical of your past. You're critical of your, your ex. You're critical of your kids. You're critical of your boss. You're critical of your preacher. You're critical of your community group leader. You're critical of somebody who you consider a friend. All of this, first, you just you can watch it in the posture of your life. It starts with defensiveness, and then it gets down to criticism. Watch for a critical spirit. Watch for it. Watch for it. Next level is resentment. And in this, there's, there's just this stepping back. It's not only defensive, I have my walls up. It's not only being critical and just think about just lobbing like critical bombs over the wall. And now I'm resenting. Now I'm just mad at God and I'm mad at people. Maybe mad at myself. And the last one is the, is the sad one. And oftentimes people get to reclusiveness and they have no idea what has happened first. But mark my words, the first three things have always happened before they get to reclusiveness. And reclusiveness is this. Reclusiveness is they're just stepping away and stepping away and they want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with God's people. They want nothing to do with church. They want nothing to do with community. And they will have no growth. And their purpose will stop right there. But I'm so thankful that God allows U-turns. Amen? That God allows us in those moments to not sit and face the waves and be pummeled by it by our unwilling spirit, but to turn around and ride that wave of purpose and blessing. The next one, this would be number three. Know that God works for our good through all things. Through all things. And I'll add to that. All things may not be good, but God can and will use all things for good. Let me give you two different examples of, of how God does this. There was a couple by the name of Scott and Janet Willis, and they were driving behind a tractor trailer, and a, a piece of metal flew off the tractor trailer. And as it flew off the tractor trailer, the Willises were in their, fa- they were in the, in their vehicle with their six kids. And as the piece of metal flew off the tractor trailer and it hit the fuel tank on their vehicle, it burst into flames. The husband and wife, Scott and Janet, were able to get out of the vehicle. But six of the children perished. I can't even imagine the pain. But I can tell you one thing for sure. I know what their response was 14 years later. And the reason why they can have the response 14 years later is because they knew God personally. It wasn't superficial. It wasn't rooted in in human agency. It wasn't some white-knuckle Christianity. It wasn't that they were religious. It wasn't that they just knew a couple Bible verses and they put it out there to look moral. It wasn't because they they were trying to live their own life and try and pad it with religious things. It wasn't. And I believe you'll agree with me. After 14 years, they both affirmed that in spite of their great loss, God's goodness and sovereignty are now more precious than ever before after losing six children that they watched die in an explosion. And God brought them through that. There was another 
lady. She's actually 69 now, same age as my father. And she, her name is Joni Erickson Tata, and she was in a diving accident when she was 17. It defined the rest of her life. She's an incredible woman of God. She's authored many books. She's received so many. I looked this up. So many doctorates and honorary doctorates. It's really incredible. But after she was disabled and paralyzed, she lived much of her life ministering to disabled people all over the world. That her pain actually brought her purpose. Many times I think Christians, they look around and they look and, and they try and they find their purpose and their, per, their, their personal ministry and they, find, they try to find that by looking at their giftedness and they say, well, I just don't know what my gift is because I'm comparing it to all these other people who appear to have really, really big gifts. But what if the plan of God for you, what if God's overarching will for you isn't for you to be able to find out what your purpose is through your gifting? What if your purpose is to be found through your pain? What if your purpose is to be found through your pain? As you are trusting in the God who wrote Romans 8, 28, as you're trusting God through the pain, maybe what God wants to do in your heart is to mold you and help you to not face the, face the wave, but to ride the wave of blessing and purpose and actually be a wave of blessing and purpose for someone else. Later in her life, she, Joni Erickson Tata actually found out that she had cancer. And these are her words after she found out that she had cancer. She's still alive, but she's still, still struggling with cancer. She said this, a direct quote, I've had a ministry to disabled people for many years, but now I have a ministry to people with cancer. Her pain helped define her purpose. Her pain helped define her purpose. Can I lovingly say something to you? Stop living in your pain. Allow God to show you the purpose for it. Stop letting your pain define the rest of your life. Allow God to define the rest of your life. Submit to Him. Ride that wave of blessing and purpose and promise. That's what God wants to do in the world, and that's what God wants to do in your world. The last truth to build your life upon is this. Know that those who love God have been called into a life of purpose. And God's ultimate purpose for us, there's a lot of things, but this is certainly one of them, comes from this passage in Philippians 3.10. And this is what Paul said. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He says, I want to know Christ and I want to increase in my knowledge of God and my experience with God. And I want, to, I want to, to live in the power, the same power that resurrected my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. I want to live in that power. And in this passage, he talks about being content in any and every circumstance, in any and every hardship. And the only way that he can do it is because he knows that he's been called into a life of purpose. That he, in the midst of enduring his pain, would lead to purpose. I told you about my parents divorcing when I was four. It, it was terrible. I felt, like, I, I felt like they were always in a tug of war, and I was just the sad flag in the middle. I didn't know which side I was going to land on. 
That defined all of my upbringing. That defined me until even after I got married, until Marla and I had our first child. And then looking at, 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 at my son and just thinking, how in the world can I love him when I, don't even, I didn't even receive this kind of love from my, my earthly father? And you know what God whispered to me? You've got the love of your heavenly father. And that's enough. And that's enough. That, that purpose, if the purpose for my life was from a brokenness, it, it, just, it was the brokenness that happened to me. It defined all of my upbringing, which is the reason why I was so insecure. Took it into our marriage, had our son. I started not to look to myself, but I started to look for God and started to look for God to see what he would say about, about being the father. And I leaned into that. And then God would use that just heightened burden that I had for other kids who were like me. So then when Marla and I got involved in our local church in Illinois, that we both started serving in kids ministry. The reason why it was kids ministry is because I specifically hoped that I could minister to at least one boy who struggled like I struggled. If it was just one, it would be enough. And all the pain and all the years and all the heartache would be enough if I just had one. And you know what? There was one and then one more and then one more, and then eventually a calling into ministry, and there was a bunch, and then there was a, a calling here, and there's been a bunch, and this is what God has done. It's I, I didn't know what to do, but what I did do, and God led me to do it, is pursue him in the middle of the pain. Would you stand with me? I don't know where all of this sits with you. But man, I want you to have deliverance. I want you to, to ultimately know what the purpose is for the things that you've endured. I want you to know Jesus Christ and to know him well. I want you to know him, not just in some, just, just a momentary thing, but, but something that happened in a moment that has defined the rest of your life. And that way you have, you have eyes of faith to see and experience this world. There's pain in this world. There are painful days coming for all of us. Nobody walks through this life unscathed. No one. And God has a plan and purpose to help Define and redefine our purpose in the middle of our pain. That's a good God, isn't it? That He doesn't just leave us out hanging by ourselves, but He pursues us as His own. So I don't know where this sits with you, but, but I sense that there's some people who are maybe struggling with some pain. And maybe for you, you've let the pain define you. And maybe you've actually, you've made that pain like a badge of honor. You're like, this is my pain. It defines me. Look at my badge. See this? This means I'm never going to get close to a person again. That's what this means. You know what this badge means? This badge means I don't need anyone. Oh, no. You know what this, you know what this means? It means I had a bad church experience. And that's the reason why I don't trust churchy people anymore and you wear that badge everywhere you go and as soon as anything spiritual comes up you show them your badge what I want you to do is take that badge off and throw it I want you to take those badges off they're fake and instead 
I'd like for you to replace it with a badge of courage. A badge that says, you know what? I, I struggled through some things, but I'm, I'm going to step out and I'm going to courageously trust God right now. I don't know where it's going to end, but I know God's in it and I know there's a purpose behind it and that's good enough for me. And a courage isn't human agency, just you being strong enough, tough enough. It's not that at all. Instead, for you, it's a bag of courage saying, God, I'm not strong enough. I'm weak. My flesh is weak. I need you. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today. Lord, I look out at all these people, and I don't know what you know. I don't know of their stories, their experiences, their pain, their heartache, their badges. But God, you do. And Father, as we just are now closing this time and we're about to sing a song of praise and adoration back to you. Father, if you're leading some people to come forward and maybe repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I made a mess of things. God, let us not get in the way of that. If your spirit is leading them to come to the front just to acknowledge their brokenness before you, maybe they've had badges of selfishness and pride and ego. And they just need to acknowledge that before everybody and say, I've done this. This has lived my life. I have been facing the waves and I've been pummeled and I've learned my lesson. And God, I'm turning around, I'm repenting and I want to ride the wave of blessing. Maybe they need to come forward and pray about that. I don't know. But God, I know that that Jesus Christ offers a plan of salvation for all those who will believe. Those who will believe and put their faith in him. That you can make them new. And that you, Lord Jesus, are able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. I know that. Father, help the people to respond in the way that you lead them to. And Lord, maybe the response is just declaring the goodness of God. And we'll do that with this song. Amen.